Well, good morning, church family. So if, if you haven't been here with us before, maybe you're, you're kind of newer in, in our church family. Um, so what you just watched is a video from Favor City Church. To add some context to that, Favor City Church is a church plant in Las Vegas, Nevada, in which our church family here at Ridgedale has chosen to create a partnership, a five-year partnership with through the North American Mission Board in order to support them uh, both financially as well as supporting them and sending teams. And so we're excited that this coming summer we will be sending another team. And those dates, if you've been to Vegas before in here, like for the missions, not to party, but for, <laughs> don't raise your hand for that. But if you've been on the mission team to Vegas so far, why don't you raise your hand? So we've had a lot of people go and serve. It's an incredible, incredible time. This year's dates are July 13th through the 20th. And so registration will open tomorrow and will go through, I think, the end of the month. And so we would love for you to, to pray about that. And, and if the Lord's laid it on your heart that, you know, I think me and my family want to go serve uh, this year, that, then that's a, a great opportunity. Essentially, when we go, we run a large kind of VBS type thing for them because they just don't have the, the all the support to be able to do something like that yet. Um, and last year we saw the VBS essentially double in growth from the previous year. And so Joseph and his favorite city team are just amazing and it is a deep, deep privilege to be able to serve with them. Um, so we would love for you to consider, pray about it, take take a few weeks to pray through it, see if it's viable for you and your family. Um, if, if, if you're thinking, okay, financially is where it's an issue, then what, you, what we want you to do is, is to pray through that as well. And uh, God delivers and comes through on those things. Um, and so don't let that be the reason that you can't go. So if you have your copy of God's word, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're concluding and finishing up 2 Timothy. You're, if you're here today, you're thinking, man, it's odd that you end a, a book on the first day or the first Sunday of a new year. But in some ways, that's the way it works out. But I think it's actually the way the text kind of begins to read. It's a, it's a beautiful opportunity to be able to kind of start fresh. At the end, we're at the end, a very end of Paul's life. And, and so he's, he's giving kind of his final reflections to Timothy, his protege, his, his son in the faith, someone that he's poured immense amount of time and prayers into. If you remember earlier in 2 Timothy, it talks about the fact that, that he, he's, in, he's been in tears, like thinking and praying about seeing Timothy again. He, he loves Timothy to a, and the uh, incredible amount. He's a true son in the faith. And so he's writing this last letter that Paul will ever write. So not only is he at the end of his last letter, but he's at the end of his life. And, and so there's an urgency here for him to to kind of declare a, a few things that I think actually work really well for how we need to, if we choose to join in God's mission, if we choose to be and walk with Jesus this year as we have a desire to, there are some things that are going to happen in our lives that Paul wants us to know about. 
some things that are wonderful, some things that will be difficult. But he forewarns us in writing to Timothy in a really great way. It's something that at the end of every year, Lauren and I have the chance to uh, take, we take a step back. We intentionally take a step back and we take a, at least a few minutes, maybe a couple of hours to reflect over the last year. I don't know if that's something that you've done. We, we look at things that were, went really well, things that were great. We, we remember and, and uh, talk about things that were really hard things that maybe we wish we would have done differently, um, things that we're deeply thankful for. And it's nothing formal or ever anything like that, but it's just a chance to work through all we've gone through this year. And that's essentially what Paul is doing. These are his final reflections. And and so these are his desires that he wants us to know at the very end of his life. So what was on Paul's mind at the the very end of his last letter and near the end of his life. As we'll find out, there were two specific things on his mind. First, the gospel of God was on his mind. And the second thing we find is that the people of God were on his mind. Those were the two things that, that we see when we look at the end of this chapter that we'll find God and his people And so we want Timothy to hear these. So if you have your copy of God's word, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. And when you get there, say word. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchment. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense... No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remains at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now, the, the kind of core message of the entirety of 2 Timothy is this idea of making disciples. It's the, it's the idea of multiplying yourself, giving yourself fully into the mission of God. And, and if this is your first time, one of the things that we do each and every week is we recite as we close our service, the Great Commission, reminding us that God has sent us out as we are adopted into the family of Christ through the blood and resurrection of Jesus 
that you and I are not just called to, to come and, and soak and to grow, but in fact, God has allowed us and desires for us to join him on his mission. That it's not, our lives aren't about us, but it's about what God desires to do in and through us. And so at the end of, uh, the, the, end, the beginning of chapter two, we see that Paul tells Timothy, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men also, who will also be able to teach others. He talks to Timothy and he says, I want you to guard the good deposit. So it comes to the end. And, and he's talking about the people that he himself trusts, the things that he's gone through over the past few years of his life and his final requests. And so if you choose to, it's kind of like Mission Impossible. I didn't mean for it to be like that. But if you choose to accept this mission, then here's what you can expect. And the first thing that we can expect on the life of mission is we can expect temptation to come our way. The first thing that we see that Paul says our lives will be filled with is temptation. Because guess what? We don't just kind of get to serve the Lord without there being some type of enemy. There is a presence of darkness. In fact, scripture talks about the current present day in this world as the fact that the prince and the power of the air is an enemy. It's Satan. And that so God has left us and not chosen to just take us immediately to heaven when you and I are saved so that you and I may look like Jesus, but also that we may spread the gospel of Jesus. But we have an enemy that hates us and is constantly trying to come at us that will tempt us with conveniences, that will tempt us with our fleshly desires, that will tempt us with any number of things. And so we find in verse 10 that there's a man named Demas who Paul says was once incredibly faithful. Look back. In verses 9 through 15, we actually see Paul list eight different people, nine if you, call, if you consider Timothy. And then in verses 20, 19 through 22, you see him list nine more people. And he says, do your best to come to me soon. He wants Timothy's presence because he knows things are about to end for him. And then he says in verse 10, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. In love with this present world. As I read this text earlier this week, I'm not going to lie, this, this part really kind of jumped off the pages in my own heart. Sometimes there's this, there's this desire in our hearts for comfort, for convenience. And that's a, a very natural desire, right? It's not something that's necessarily in and of itself bad. But it, when it becomes the premier desire, the thing that, that we ultimately live for, when there's nothing that can be inconvenient about our lives, then it becomes this idol, this, the very thing that we choose when something inconvenient does come into our lives, then we ultimately curse God, we get angry at people, we begin to clamp down, and everything turns to chaos. And we see Demas, who had been a faithful companion of Paul's. In fact, elsewhere in Colossians 4.14, 
Paul calls Demas a co-worker, which is one of his highest titles that he can give someone. Because Paul had given everything in his life for the gospel. He had chosen to walk away from the prestige and the ease of the life that he once had prior to Christ. He was a Pharisee after all. He, had all. he was the one with all the power. He was the one doing the persecuting. And when Jesus came and saved him, he took him in this journey and said, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. That happens in Acts chapter 9. And we see over the course of Paul's life that many different difficult things happen. And, and currently... He's in this deep, dark, essentially prison before his life ends. And Demas, when he considers the cost of what it would be to stick with Paul through the midst of all of this, to continue to walk in Jesus's way, even when it really, really got tough, Paul says, he said, you know what? It's not worth it. Now notice that he, he doesn't say that, that Demas walked away ultimately from Jesus. It doesn't say that he renounced the faith. What it says, I think in some ways, is far scarier for you and I. Because most of us aren't in danger of cursing God and walking away from him in total. But what we are far more capable of doing in our own flesh is to say, you know what, all of this discipline, all of the heartache, the financial sacrifice of, of giving my time, giving my money, the sacrifice of serving others, giving up a, a Sunday morning, giving up a Friday night, giving up a Wednesday night, the, the sacrifice of getting up early and, and meeting with Jesus, the sacrifice of having my boss or a coworker come at me because they, they know I love Jesus and I'm, I'm trying to spread joy. You know what? I just don't know that all that's worth it anymore. And as a pastor, I, I, would be on, I would be totally dishonest to tell you that it's sometimes it's like, man, it, there are lives out there that, that's not on the clock 24-7. There are so many more convenient lives than that of a pastor. And that's one of the reasons I think he tells Timothy this. It's like, don't go down the way of convenience. There is a temptation in front of us. There will come a time, even probably this year, whether it be a fleshly temptation, that of, of sexual temptation or that of gluttony or, or any number of things, or that of convenience and comfort, when we will choose to have to decide which, which path are we going to take. The path of denial where we deny ourselves and take up our cross or the path of convenience, the path of comfort or the path of pleasure. And Paul says, don't give in to the temptation, but know that the temptation is going to be there. Kent Hughes says it this way on kind of what happened to Demas. He says, there is not a single soul that is not swayed by the lure of comfort. And the older we get, the more alluring the siren songs are. This is the short-sighted temptation to love the present world instead of Christ's appearing. 
So what keeps us motivated to continue to move, like move forward, to continue to sacrifice, to continue the discipline that's necessary to follow Jesus? It's the remembrance that this is not the world that is our home, that there is a new life that is coming in which our reward truly will be. So this life isn't about comfort and convenience. Instead, when we look to Christ, we remember that we can sacrifice for the next life. Before I move on, I seriously doubt Demas's fall happened in one day. But most likely it was a slow but sure fade away from Jesus. He became more and more comfortable with the, the things and pleasantries of this world. He became more concerned with his own convenience and the comfort in his life rather than the difficulties that are associated with sharing the gospel and living for Jesus. So we must be prepared to face these temptations ourselves. But we also, as we minister, we must be aware of this in order to help and warn others to not follow the path of Demas. The second thing that we see is we see that in the life of ministry, there will be the great, wonderful, godly redemption. That there is redemption. And we see this in verse 11. Look back with me. He says that Crescens has gone to Galatia. He's not given up. He's actually been sent out on mission. Titus has been sent to Dalmatia again. Uh, he's he's a one that's loved deeply by Paul. He writes a letter to him, and he's sent out on mission as well. And then it says, Luke alone is with me, but get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Now, if you just read this, and chances are you might have read this before, and you're like, okay, when can I get to the next book, <laughs> right? We, we tend to kind of skip over some of these names because it takes some of the history, and it, it takes a certain contextual knowledge, but there's actually something incredibly beautiful about him mentioning Mark here. Now, this is most, I think most certainly, is not just some random Mark, but in fact, is, the, is John Mark from the book of Acts. Now, students, if you were in, in student worship, I guess, several months ago, I had the privilege of preach you, preaching to you about the, the God, like how the gospel totally transforms John Mark's life. The first time that we meet John Mark is in the middle of Acts. And we see that and when it comes to spiritual heritage, John Mark was born on third base. Like he got to be around all the heavyweights, even as a child growing up. He got to see and meet and know all of these huge apostles and, and see all of that God was doing. His house was kind of a hub. And so many people would come in and out of his house. And so he gets the privilege as he grows up, he gets the opportunity to go, to actually go on mission with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And what we find if you read kind of Acts 13 all the way through Acts 15 is you find that they go on this first missionary journey and John Mark reaches a point where he does what? He says, oh, this is, I, we don't know why, but he quits. He says, this isn't for me. I'm going back home, forget this mess. 
you're traveling all over the world and you, you run into people that don't want to hear your message, that, you know, that, that just aren't interested, I'm, I, I'm turning back. So in some ways, we, we see a, a mirror of Demas, but in John Mark's case, we get to see kind of the full gospel effect playing out. Now, what happens after that is, is Barnabas, as Paul gathers his crew to go on the next, his second large missionary journey, Barnabas wants to bring John Mark along. And at this point, Paul goes ballistic. It's like, no way. There is 0% chance that John Mark, the quitter, is coming with me on this missionary journey. He's untrustworthy. He's independable. No way. And Barnabas is like, listen, Paul, let's give this kid a chance. Maybe he's grown. And Paul's like, no, hard and fast, don't have time for it, not going to happen. And so Paul and Barnabas separate and go two different ways. They have a, a heated disagreement and they go separate ways. So Barnabas takes John Mark, Paul takes Silas, and they go in different directions. But at the end of Paul's life, what has happened to the point where not only he says that I, I would love to talk to Mark, but what does he say about John Mark? that he is very useful to me in ministry. Beloved, whether personally when we blow it or when we watch others kind of go down a path that, that kind of blows it, God's patience is so far beyond ours and his redemption is great and his grace are so far beyond ours. I don't know what this mic is doing. It's just doing its thing today. And, and it's, it's amazing, it's amazing to see John Mark's life totally redeemed to the point that Paul says, I want this guy on my team again. There is full redemption. There is hope when we blow it in the gospel. Now there's trust that has to be rebuilt. There are things that has to happen, but on the grandest of stages, John Mark blows it. Blow it. We must never give up on people because redemption is always available in Christ. So for your kids, remember that redemption is always available in Christ. Doesn't mean there aren't consequences to our actions, but it means that Christ can always do a new work in them. It means when you personally feel like you're beyond repair, it means that Christ is perfectly capable of doing a new work in you. This should give us great hope. I think it gives us even great hope. We don't know the end of Demas' story, but I think it gives us great hope for Demas. And it gives a great hope for myself that I'm not the sum of my failures. I think it's good for you that you're not the sum of your failures. Jesus doesn't view you as on your worst day. But the next thing, Paul doesn't stop there. He, he continues on. Look at me at verse 13. 
or he says, Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. So another guy that he's really close with, he sends to Ephesus. And he says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. So another guy. And also the books and above all the parchments. Most likely these were either Old Testament texts that he had had or were early Christian writings that he desired to, to really remember and, and read one last time. And then he says in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Makes no bones about it. He says, beware of him yourself for he strongly opposed our message. And at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. In the life of ministry, one of the things, unfortunately, both we will often be the perpetrators of and also be wounded by is we will be, we will be filled sometimes with disappointment. So there's going to be temptation along the way. There's going to be, thankfully, thank God, there's redemption available. But Paul makes no bones about it that there is going to be at different times disappointment in our life. And I've been on both ends of those things. And thankfully the Lord restores us, but we've all been there. Look at verses 14 through 16. It says, the, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. There's a chance that this is the same Alexander that he mentions in 1 Timothy 1 that talks about that he's making shipwreck of his faith. We don't know that. There's no way to, to actually confirm that. But he calls in the coppersmith, which could be related to idol making as well. But he, he says, regardless, this man, Timothy, you need to watch out for. You need to be aware. You, you kind of need to make sure that, that you're protected against this guy because he, he is going to oppose you. And he's hurt me. He says clearly that, that Paul's been disappointed by someone that, that he was obviously close enough to to know. But then he even says that at his first defense, no one came to stand by me, but in fact, all deserted me for various reasons. Some, some legit, some probably not legit, but he says, it hurt. And you can see that he was alone all throughout the end of the book of Acts at his, at his trial. And so we see disappointment in Paul's life and ministry. But I want us, more than looking at the individual disappointment, what I want us to see is the response of Paul. What does he say? What does he say at the very end there? May it not be charged against them. How do we deal with grief? How do we deal with disappointment? How do we deal with, with hurt? As the, how does the gospel call us to do that? He says we do it by grace and forgiveness. It's the only way forward. Now, this isn't necessarily saying that this person has to have the same standing in your life as they did prior. But what it does mean is that the only way for you to move forward is through grace and forgiveness. And sometimes that's really hard and sometimes it takes time and it takes counseling and it, it takes lots of different things. 
But the only one, the only person that we, we hold hostage when we choose not to grant forgiveness and we choose to be vindictive and those types of things is we entrap ourselves. We entrap our own hearts. We make ourselves ineffective. So we must deal with disappointment as Christ did with grace and forgiveness. What what does he say to the criminals on the cross? You remember? Lord, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Lord, forgive them. The final thing, and this is the the way that it ends on a high note. So it's not going to be like, well, it's going to be disappointing, y'all. Have fun. No, it ends on a great note. It's going to be filled with joy. Because anytime we partner with God, there's going to be joy involved because joy is, is being in the presence and work of God. And so he says there's going to be great joy. And we see this kind of in three different ways. And the first one is this, that we see and experience the joy of being in God's presence. Even in the hard stuff, we get to experience the joy of being in God's presence, knowing that he is with us. Look with me at verse 17. When I was alone, Paul says, the Lord stood by me and he's the one that strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Beloved, you need to know that even in the most difficult, trying times, sometimes that's the time when we experience and feel God's presence the most. C.S. Lewis talks about the fact that he whispers in the day-to-day activity, but he, he shouts in the disappointment and the grief and the difficulty. And we see that with Paul. He knows that he knows that he knows that, Paul, that, that God was with him and that it's God's grace that carries him along. The second thing that we see is the joy of experiencing God's power. He sees his deliverance, right? So 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He doesn't say safely out of this prison, does he? The Lord does not promise us easy lives. He doesn't promise us convenient lives. What he promises us is the salvation of our souls and that there is a new heaven, a new earth, that there is a true salvation that awaits us where there is no more wrong, there is no more evil, there is no more pain. There's going to be a time when there's no more temptation. There's going to be a time when there's no more disappointment. And those things are going to be just blips on our radar. He knows, he believes it, and he says, praise God for it. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Paul gets so enraptured by the fact that this prison, this prison cell that he's currently in is not, not the totality of his life. This is not the end for him. This is merely the doorway into the next wonderful, beautiful phase of his life with Jesus face to face. And finally, we see that there's a great joy in experiencing God's family. I mentioned that there are 18 people associated and and talked about, and about 17 of them are in, 16, excuse me, are in great terms with Paul. And he says, look at, look at all that he, he talks about, even with Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. He writes to Onesiphorus with the book of Philemon. 
He says Erastus was there. These are people that Paul knows by name and he loves them. He loves them. Our church family, as, as, as we minister to people together, as, as we walk with Jesus together as the covenant family, one of the beautiful things that happens is we get to experience the wonderful joy of God's family. What I got to find, even over Christmas, I got to come for, I came to the Christmas Eve evening service. And what I found as I left here that night is that Lauren and I both commented on how wonderful we felt, how joyful we felt after being with our church family, praising our risen Savior. This is, it's a great joy. And so years earlier, Paul was ministering, and this is how we close. He was ministering in Macedonia, and he became so exhausted. You can read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. He became so exhausted by all the things that were going on around him. Have you ever felt this before? So exhausted by all the difficulty that surrounded him. And he says that also he became so, so weighted down by all the fears that were within him. That it says that he became uh, essentially downcast. The NASB says that he was depressed. Paul was depressed. The weight of the world was on him. Times were tough and his discouragement was substantial. How did God and his grace sustain him in that moment? He says this, but God comforted us by the coming of Titus. It wasn't a pizza. It wasn't a night to watch a whole season of The Crown. He says it was the love and encouragement of a trusted brother in Christ. That there's great joy in, in knowing, but what that means is that we got to commit to being with one another. That we got to commit to knowing and choosing to get outside of ourselves and sometimes push through awkwardness and the awkward phase. Because guess what? It's, it's hard making friends as an adult, but you got to continue and pursue it. And he says at the end of verse 7, my joy was greater than ever. John Stott says this, when our spirit is lonely, we need friends. When our body is cold, we need clothing. When our mind is bored, we need books. To admit this is not unspiritual, it is human. We see each of those things that Paul requests. And so as you enter this new year, as, as you look and, and observe, okay, Lord, what do you desire for me? Here's some things that you're gonna experience if you choose to follow Jesus in the way that he desires for you to. And so what I want us to do is for you just to take a moment as, as we sing and, and before we sing and just to, to lay yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to, to persevere through temptation. Help me, Lord, to believe that there can be redemption for my own self by your grace, but there can also be redemption for others, not to give up on them. Lord, help me as I begin this journey when, when I become disappointed to not to react out of for vengeance, but to trust in you, God, and, and, and offer as I can by your grace, grace and forgiveness. And Lord, help me to experience the fullness of your joy. Those are the prayers I want you to pray. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. God, we thank you that your servant Paul writes this book and ends it in such a way that, that we know and Timothy knew then what we would face as we joined on your mission to make disciples of all nations. 
as we choose to share the gospel with our coworkers, as we choose, Lord, to, um, to share the gospel with our neighbors, to choose to share the gospel with our fellow students. Lord, as we choose to remain faithful, as we choose to live a righteous life, as we choose to um, control our, our fleshly desires, so we choose to walk away from comfort and convenience. God, would you meet us? May your grace sustain us. Thank you, God, for your love. And I pray that, Lord, that you would protect us, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us, and that it would be such a joyous occasion. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.